0: Welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. We've just had a maniacal run of Sundance episodes, and it seemed only appropriate to talk about another festival occurring at this time, which is Rotterdam. This is a new year for Rotterdam with new leadership. And so to take the full measure of the festival generally, and this particular edition and its highlights, festival stalwart Jordan Kronk. Welcome, Jordan.
1: Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me back.
0: It's always a pleasure. And we're reaching you in your homeland of, of California. Is that right?
1: <laughs> yep. In Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, did a, well, like a week of Sundance viewing, quasi Sundance viewing, and then a week of uh, Rotterdam viewing. So I I don't need to watch any movies for another month or two. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Did you watch anything right after or or have you, are you still?
1: No, the only thing I watched was the Britney Spears documentary last night, which is uh, interesting.
0: I watched that as well. And. Oh, really? Yes, I did. I watched it last night. (laughs) Uh, Who would have thought? Yeah. You got to keep up with with the latest. And I mean, it's it's just a travesty. I'm I'm I definitely think she should be freed. Exactly. (laughs) I agree. Well, so Rotterdam, so you you were physically there last year.
1: Yeah, I've been the last three or four years covered for you at Film Comment for the last three years, I guess. So unfortunately, can couldn't do that this year, but I was there virtually. I guess the festival looks a little different this year. It's under new leadership. The new director's name is Vanya Kalijercik, and she has worked on like the industry side of things at a number of co-production offices around Europe. And then I guess most recently, she was the director of acquisitions at MUBI. But now she made her way over here, uh, taking over from Barrow Bayer, who was the previous Rotterdam director for five years, who I think was doing a pretty decent job. By the end, I think he kind of hit his stride with kind of paring down the sections and making them a little more distinct as far as their sensibility. Last year was, I think, the best year that I had gone to, and certainly in the Tiger competition, which we'll talk about today too. But their main competition of younger filmmakers. It, it was real solid last year. And this year it's expanded. Actually, it's doubled to 16 films rather than eight. But uh, this was another strong year. So I don't know. It's exciting to see what she's going to do with the festival. It's in two parts. We just finished the first week. The second week is in June. And there'll be, I think, three or four more sections there, which will be like the non-competition films. So th- this first week that we just finished was the three competitions. And then in June, there'll be a new section called Harbor, and then I think Bright Future, which is also kind of a section for younger filmmakers, shorts and features. And I think the retrospective program will be then too. And I think they want to do, hopefully, do some of that stuff in person. So something to look forward to if you're out there.
0: I'm just curious, like where in general do you think Rotterdam will fit into the festival landscape? What kind of cinema do you think it's going to be prioritizing? I mean, just broadly speaking, let's say that certain types of like East Asian cinema was kind of maybe one thing.
1: Yeah, I think the last three years of, uh, I think the winner of the Tiger Prize has been a Chinese film uh, until this year, which was an Indian film. I mean, it's an international festival, obviously, so it focuses on mostly international type, not American films, although we'll talk about an English language film today. It's one of the five big European festivals after Locarno, but also obviously Cannes and Venice and Berlin. But I think them being first in the calendar, kind of, uh, they can kind of set the tone a little bit, but also... um, obviously clear they're very close to berlin and berlin kind of can take the lion's share of the tour titles and kind of the bigger name independent or like uh, art cinema crowd uh filmmakers so they've i think focused rotterdam that is on younger filmmakers like the tiger competitions like i said are generally i think first or second films so they i think they try and cultivate the new generation of filmmakers every year it's not uncommon to see the winners or just other or filmmakers that are in the competitions end up going to Locarno with their next film or going to Berlin or Cannes. So I don't know. It's, it's always something to look forward to Once if you can kind of spot a film early on or a filmmaker early on and then kind of chart their development over the years. Like last year, there was uh, Luis Lopez Carrasco's film, The Year of the Discovery, which was kind of a, ended up being like a huge critical success. So they are very kind of adventurous in the programming. The stuff is not very uh, conventional. They have a section for kind of more Audience-friendly films called big screen competition. So there is an audience component, obviously a big one. They they have a big turnout every year out there. But um, I feel like for me, it's the f- festival I go to that I go in blind to ninety percent of the movies and hope for the best.
0: <laughs> now that's that's I mean that's always really exciting. Just having no idea, you know, what people are going to come at you with. Yeah. So what what do you want to start with? What was the first film you, you want to talk about? I guess we could start just because we've been talking about the Tiger competition. The film that won
1: an Indian film, like I mentioned, is called Pebbles. It's by a first-time filmmaker, P.S. Vinothraj. This film is shot in Tamil Nadu, which is a southern Indian state. They have a established film industry out there where they make these kind of slick action films and genre films. Rotterdam actually did a retrospective of these films like three years ago, uh, which I caught a few of them. and a number of them actually end up coming to the US and playing in uh, multiplexes around the US. We have a theater out in LA that shows a lot of them actually. Seemingly big budget genre films, but this film Pebbles is very like small scale, DIY independent. I've no idea what it was shot for, but couldn't have been much. It's just a handful of characters shot like on the fly. Looks like a lot of drone cameras were used. I don't know, it shows a different side I think of this industry as did a film last year that I wrote about for you called Nazir which was kind of a small domestic drama, very political, but not like a big, glossy action film, which is kind of what this region has been known for. But Pebbles is about um, a father and son. The the father is an alcoholic and a very uh, mean spirit. We kind of meet them as they're kind of in action. The dad's drunk and kind of like trying to find his son. They end up going on this kind of road trip to find the man's wife who has left him because he's abusive and all these other things that we gather along the way. So him and the son kind of take a bus and go try and go find her. And there's a big kind of blow up with the relatives when they get there. And the kid sort of rips up their bus money so they can't get back. So they have to kind of take a walk back home. It's told in two parts where they're going to see see the family and then they're on their walking back. But it's very like kinetically filmed. And uh, even though it's just the two, mostly the two actors together, it's a super like innovative DIY effort. Most of it's shot kind of handheld and like very close up. But I think a lot of that stuff's done with mechanical type cameras, which is pretty interesting. Could do fairly well as far as like picking up distribution and things like that. It's very uh, accessible. It shows a different side of the the country and the sensibility because I feel like a lot of I don't know Indian films are either on the one hand very like genre oriented or they're like super domestic family dramas that are kind of buttoned up. I don't know the the content's just played close to the vest. Whereas this is very like lots of uh lots of swearing and lots of like inappropriate things are going on with with the dad and it's very just I found pretty invigorating. And it seems like a lot of people have been gravitating toward it.
0: I'm I'm really interested about this kinetic combination you're describing in terms of the camera work of handheld but also do you mean when you say they're using drones, do you mean like drones but kind of at like eye level, like buzzing around people in a way?
1: Yeah, it's hard to tell. I I haven't read anything that's specified that as such. It's It looks like just handheld cameras, maybe like that. But when I was watching it, it's, it, it almost has a, that kind of floating look where like a drone would have. So it almost like is a drone at eye level, like it's kind of circling the characters and they're kind of just running through the desert kind of landscape and obviously delivering their dialogue and all this stuff. But it, I don't know, it just feels very uh, like that kind of thing could have been used to capture some of this stuff, which there is obvious drone stuff, too, with like high level shots and stuff like that but it it really uh expands the kind of scope and scale of the film which like i said is very you know just deals with a couple of characters for the most part but uh the camera work really i think adds a dimension to it that it wouldn't have otherwise because i know obviously drone is kind of like has bad connotations in some field especially documentary but i think it can be used in innovative ways and this might be one example
0: it's always pretty interesting when someone says you know, this doesn't have to be a bad thing. You know, this is this yeah. is a technique or a, d- a device that we can use in some new way, and just see what sticks and see what see what works. Yeah. What's the significance of of the title, Pebbles?
1: I think that the boy collects pebbles kind of along the way on the journey, it's kind of like chasing his dad the whole way, who doesn't want any part of them. So you, it, the protagonist is very like an evil character, pretty much. So you're forced to kind of be with this character, who it's a great performance. The kid is also great, young, probably like ten, eleven years old.
0: Yeah. So that's Pebbles, and that that one basically the top award.
1: Yeah, he won the Tiger Prize, which is yeah, like the the top award of their main section. I think an Indian film won like four years ago, Sexy Durga. Do you remember that movie?
0: Yeah, that was quite a unnerving film. One of the more unremittingly menacing movies I remember seeing. Uh, I don't know, in the past few years. Yeah, so that's Pebbles, Witches of the Orient. That's another movie you mentioned. What's that one about?
1: That was my favorite new feature I saw. That is the new film by Julian Ferrat, a French filmmaker. He made a film a few years ago called In the Realm of Perfection, the John McEnroe film, the tennis uh, movie. Right. That played it, Art of the Real. I think it opened Art of the Real three or four years ago. That movie premiered in Berlin. This is another sports documentary. I, I think Ferrat was a sports journalist, or maybe is as well. So he's made these two features now that deal with sports. And that was kind of a Faroqi-ish analytical documentary about sports. Kind of like a Theo Anthony film or something. But uh, used like music really inventively. And that's exactly what this film does too. It's about a Japanese volleyball team. Formed, I guess, in the 50s. But they ended up winning the gold medal in 64 Against the Russians, I believe, when when the games were in Tokyo, and they they had like an incredible winning streak of like two hundred and eighty something games in a row um, over a period of years. But the interesting part about them is they're all women who work in like a textile factory, so they like work all day, like extremely long hours, and then they practice all night. And they kind of formed the group on the fly, sort of, and kind of gained a lot of notoriety. I think they kind of were maybe in the Olympic conversation in the years prior to that got kind of far, lost a couple games, they re- replaced some players, and then they kind of hit this stride with this core group who took them to the gold. This movie tells their story through kind of archive footage, but also catches up with them now. So there's like new footage of all the women who are all still alive. The main kind of scene there is them eating dinner together and just kind of talking. But it's weird because they came like quasi-celebrities, or actual real celebrities, and they, there was a bunch of like comic books made about them in Japan, and like all these animated cartoons and films So all this footage is used, so it's like almost half animated, even though it's all like archive footage, and then also, you know, headlines and things like that, uh, along with his own kind of uh, just like inner titles and things like that to to move the story along. It's a very interesting mix of all these elements, but also music. When I was watching it, it struck me as very kind of like Bertrand Bonello, another French filmmaker, using pop music and moving images in a really interesting way. And I feel like he is doing something similar, taking these kind of like not as known music as a... And use uses sometimes, but kind of combining pop music with with imagery and like letting these long scenes play out in really kind of hypnotic fashion. Like a lot of the the end is a lot of just like the archive footage that's super saturated colors. Yeah, I really loved it. It's a very audience friendly movie. It's very accessible. I think it'll go to other festivals and end up uh, showing widely. It's very fun and it's very informative and it's just like really well made.
0: So that would be the '60s. So. That makes me think, of course, immediately of Tokyo Olympiad, the Konichikawa right. Yeah. documentary. And I wish I had a fresher memory of that movie, but I'm pretty sure they're in it. They might be. It's been a while since I've seen it, too, and that's a very long movie. But I can't,
1: <laughs> it seems like they probably should be if they're not. They seem like they were like a phenomenon at the time. And it gets into the whole kind of like Japan, Russia, political situation and things like that. So th- there's that played up in it a little bit. And so, yeah, it has it has those dimensions to it as well. And it's interesting to kind of see also the, the ladies now reminiscing about it. The director kind of makes the new imagery. He kind of like puts like graphics on the screen to make it look like comic bookie or kind of how they were stylized at the time with their animated cartoons and stuff. So she, he uses that to kind of wed the two sections together. There's a very like smooth and sensual way he does stuff. Yeah, it's really great.
0: Another film to add to the list. And Witches of the Orient, I guess, is in reference to their, their wicked volleyball skills, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, they actually, there is, they were nicknamed that by some newspaper at, at some point. That's where that name comes from.
0: Yeah. You know, the one thing I didn't like about In the Realm of Perfection was the run-up. It was just like, like the first, 20 minutes of that movie i I really feel like there's a lot of throat clear kind of frenchy throat clearing <laughs> i don't know if that happens here. <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean i don't know well that movie like
1: examines tennis through the lens of like film criticism which is very interesting but can be maybe exasperating or like very pretentious if you're not like into these two things but this movie doesn't have that aspect it's just kind of like a history of this team but it's it's like kind of deceptively experimental i guess in a different way doesn't have that cinematic dimension where it's kind of like, I don't know, investigating uh, the moving image, kind of like how that film was.
0: Right. Which I guess is sort of as an outgrowth of tennis training films or something like that. I, well, I hope he continues plowing this furrow of sports figures. I'm not much of a volleyball player myself, though, I have to say. <laughs> Me either. Nor tennis, <laughs> but good movies. Yeah. So that's Witches of the Orient. Which one do you want to go into next?
1: I guess the kind of, let's just say the breakout, at least judging by the internet, uh, the film was called Friends and Strangers. It's an Australian film. Sort of, I don't know, another kind of indie DIY effort. It's just kind of like mainly two characters for the first kind of quarter to 20, 30 minutes of the film. It's only like a 70 minute movie. A girl and a guy who are friends that have like gone to Brisbane to like go on vacation, and then they're on their way back as the film opens to Sydney. They both, uh, at least the girl's gone through a breakup, recently learned she's gone through a breakup as they start talking. And they're kind of camping along the way. The guy thinks that maybe something romantic could happen, kind of awkwardness ensues. She sort of leaves the story for a while, and it's kind of the guy getting into these awkward situations from there. If you've read anything about the movie, most people have been kind of comparing it to Hong Seng Su or... Eric Romare, a lot of it's set on the beach in Australia because it does a lot of talking and a lot of awkward situations and things like that. But what's interesting about the film, I think it, by the end, it reminded me a lot of Punch Drunk Love, especially like aesthetically or like stylistically. There, there's a huge section at the end where the, the guy who we learn is a uh, does like wedding video photography. He's having like a meeting with a, a rich client and the scene uses this kind of diegetic music where you're hearing loud music from the surrounding houses like there's a party going on and it's super loud and it kind of reminds me of the there's like a punch drug love scene i believe where the dialogue is getting drowned out by the score basically so this is kind of happening in the scene and it's getting really tense the awkwardness builds and the tension builds uh, over the course of the film and it's just like kind of a portrait of young people not knowing <laughs> knowing their way in life which doesn't sound very uh original or unique at all but the way it's made is i don't know it's just perceptive and the dialogue is really really funny um, I get this guy, his name's James Vaughn. I don't know if I mentioned his, the director's name first feature as well. He made a short like eight years ago, and this is the next thing he's done. Self-financed film, super funny and super kind of perceptive by the end. The other, the girl from the beginning has kind of come back into the story and they, and there there's all sorts of <laughs> other awkward situations that uh, go forth from there. Another one kind of like pebbles where I think we're going to be hearing a lot about him or a lot, a lot about the film. I think it's going to play well across festivals
0: this almost sounds like something that could have played at sun, Sundance. I, I don't know, just because of the, just kind of the milieu and...
1: I could see it in Sundance. I could see it, uh, I don't know, in any kind of American festival. I'm sure we'll see it uh, in one of the kind of New York festivals for for younger filmmakers soon. But uh, sensibility is just like uh, very evident in the kind of worldview of the filmmaker. It's got like a authorial stamp to it. Like it's not... Super stylized, but like the the camera work and the music and the and just the situations are very inventive. And I don't know, there's not a lot of uh, Australian films, or I don't see many Australian independent films of this nature.
0: The only thing that comes to mind recently was was Baby Teeth, right, 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 which was actually, I guess, a theater director who who made it. It had a definitely a verve to it. I, I did like that. Um, yeah. But this this sounds very interesting. Friends uh, and Strangers. I think that brings us to one final feature among your highlights and that is feast feast. This should
1: be an interesting one to talk about. This is, I guess, a film from the Netherlands. This is probably the most like formally daring and interesting movie I saw. Well, at the same time, I can say it was not like the easiest sit. I definitely, I don't know if I enjoyed it that much. Fascinating though, from a like scene by scene basis, um, it kind of slowly reveals what it's about. But it's based on a case in the Netherlands. I guess three men were accused of, or I think actually convicted eventually, of injecting HIV into their partners at like a kind of an orgy. This was 2005 and they they were convicted of this. And uh, I guess it was kind of controversial out there for obvious reasons. But the film is told in this super kind of like elliptical and abstract way where you're, every scene from what I can tell is kind of like Shot in a different style. The first scene is just kind of like a a woman, seems like a uh, police officer or a detective of some sort, kind of uh, bringing evidence out of a box. And it's just like random items, like a Coke can, blah, blah, blah. And then there's like a dildo. And then there's like all these like kind of sexual toys and objects. So you're seeing that. So that's like one scene. And it's like the first scene of the movie. It's like 10 minutes long. And then the next scene is like characters being looked at or interrogated through one-way glass and you're kind of picking up on the story of like uh these orgies and things of that nature and then yeah as the film proceeds you're getting kind of like interviews or dialogue from characters kind of reenacting because i'm not sure if these are the real people or if the the actual uh people who were accused of this uh kind of describing what happened and what they did some of it's shot where you can see their faces some of it's shot like very up close and abstract where you can't really tell, sort of like a cannibal, if you remember that film, stuff like that, where you are kind of being thrown off guard or like placed in uncomfortable situations while they're kind of describing very like disturbing things. And the film just kind of goes from there and it kind of uh, each scene sort of builds different perspectives on this kind of story about consent, what, what the perpetrators think of what they did versus what the authorities think of what they did and how those are kind of maybe disturbingly similar. Compared to the the victims, but yeah, beyond the subject matter, every scene is shot in such a weird, interesting way that it's like very invigorating to kind of figure out what it's trying to do formally. Uh, I can't really name another movie that does that and without drawing attention to itself, where you're not like thinking that it's uh, like a hodgepodge of different styles. It's just like done in an interesting way where it unfolds, and you're all by the end, you have got this whole story without ever really meeting or like seeing like normal dialogue scenes or anything like that. So it's it's very uh, audacious and certainly a uh, someone to look out for. I think the director's name is Tim um who's like a visual artist in the Netherlands, but I, this is his first feature.
0: Yeah, for some reason, when you were describing it just now, I was trying to think of what it was reminding me of. For some reason, I started thinking of Sh- uh, Shohai Imamura.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: The Man Who Vanishes, I don't know, some mashup of a couple of movies of his, you know, looking at a crime from different perspectives.
1: Yeah, there's like these uh, weird, like the, the scenes are broken up by these shorter scenes, which are just like men passed out in various locations or like their bodies are just prone, which as it goes along, you realize that it's kind of like, I don't know, visualizations of uh, these men who have been, I don't know, injected or like paralyzed and they're kind of just like they're prone, like in the, in the, in a park or in a field or stuff like that. So it's very like, it's told in a super elliptical way where you're, you're just kind of piecing things together. And by the time you figure out like kind of what it's about, you're, <laughs> you're pretty deep into it and it's uh uncomfortable. But I think by, by the end, it's very, uh it's very unique. It has a style and a sensibility that I don't, I can't uh, remember seeing from a debut film in a while.
0: Yeah. If, since you mentioned he's a visual artist, it makes me think of the cacophony of like a five-channel installation or something in a way. Right. Did you want to talk about, there was a short that you also mentioned. Uh...
1: Yeah, Daichi Saito. Um, this is um, a short film, 30 minutes long. My favorite film at the festival, I suppose. It was in the Tiger Shorts. This is Saito's first film in six years. His last film was called Angram of Returning. It was at TIFF, I think it premiered. And it's one of those rare movies that I think like in in the experimental cinema world that you hit like this uh, or you make this singular one of a kind movie. And now you have to follow it up. This doesn't happen very often. These filmmakers tend to make like multiple films a year. And Saito was very prolific kind of before, before this had made multiple films over the last 10 years. And then he hasn't made anything now since then. I don't know if it's because uh, any pressure or anything for uh, following that film up, but, uh, this new film is called Earth, 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 and it's uh, it was shot in the Andes. He started shooting it back in 2015. He mentioned to me that he was shooting it during... He didn't go to go to the premiere of his other film because he was already shooting it. So he's been working on it legitimately for, for this long. And he he kind of is a very, extremely broadly speaking, like a landscape filmmaker in the sense that he shoots landscapes. He's not a political filmmaker in the sense of like... It's not a didactic style, or there's no uh, text, there's no uh, voiceover, there's no information being imparted. He's a visual kind of, or visionary in like the old sense of the term, avant garde filmmaker, uh, works in that style, uh, works on film. This film's shot on 35 millimeter, as he has done a couple times before. But this is essentially images of the mountains in the Andes, which he uh, starts kind of similar to his other films, which is kind of placid images of, of, the, of the horizon kind of interspersed with black frames and then it kind of builds and the images start to become more manipulated as it goes. Um, he uses tons of, I don't know, even know all the techniques, but obviously superposition and, and kind of, uh, various, uh, you know, manipulation effects, whether it's like negative imagery and things like that, where you're seeing kind of like the different planes of the, of the horizon in different colors. So the sky is different color. The mountains are different color, the clouds. So you're seeing, uh, as it goes along, the, the frame becomes more abstracted and it's accompanied by saxophone music by a musician named Jason Sharp, who did the music on his last film as well, which is like the most memorable part of the prior film, probably. He uses like, it's called circular breathing technique, which is like, makes these very uh, hypnotic tones, like bass tones in the saxophone, where it sounds like it's almost looping and you can hear his breath kind of, you know, taking breath as he goes and that film Engram of returning was very dynamic he hit a bunch of peaks uh, was very loud with the music at some points this movie's very uh a little more placid he kind of the, the music is a little more it kind of hits a tone and kind of just uh boils at one level for a while but yeah as far as like like an image by image basis it's like one of the most visually stimulated movies you'll probably see anytime soon that Prior film, he used a lot of tracking shots, and I think it was actually found footage. This new film is original footage, and most of the images are static of just mountains. It's one I think, yeah, you'll see it at a lot of experimental film festivals this year, I'm sure. He's a big name, like I said, who hasn't uh, made a film in a number of years.
0: Yeah, that's something I, I definitely am looking forward to. I think that's probably the long and the short of the, of the, of the highlights from Rotterdam. I'm just going to talk for a second About the last thing I saw, um, which is uh, a leftover from from Sundance that I couldn't see. The movie I'm talking about is Taming the Garden. It's a documentary about the moving of several enormous old trees uh, from a Georgian village to, I guess, the estate uh, or the arboretum of some you know robber baron of some sort. And that's that's all it is. And then the villagers' reactions to it as it's happening, day and night, these elaborate drilling, digging, winching, dragging, flatbed truck pulling effort to move these trees, all of it just occurs in a kind of a combination of like A dreamlike way because just seeing a tree move is you just feel like you're you're hallucinating Uh, but then it's just with the brutality of like a large scale like open face mountain mine or something so it's a spectacular film and also kind of an intensely sad movie because of you know, these are trees that people grew up around and you just see people watching them being removed. Uh, So it's all also just a very compact metaphor just for, you know, capitalism (laughs) and just kind of the the ability to marshal resources to do that, A, and and B, just to kind of just to consume and dismantle the landscape like that, um, and just reconstitute it somewhere else, all because of the, you know, enormous capital of one individual, um, and they give you a glimpse at the end of how it all looks, and, you know, I'm not going to say it looks terrible where all the trees are now, except <laughs> it's intensely lonely and synthetic, and just. Yeah, like some Xanadu. Right. Also very gradual pace because they are moving trees, which doesn't happen quickly. And I think something that kind of got lost at Sundance for understandable reasons, since a lot of what shows there is somewhat thematically driven. Although, of course, there's also stuff like uh, Light Everywhere uh, or Users. This is a landscape film, except the landscape is moving.
1: Yeah, it was one of the best, uh, it was one of the best things I saw at Sundance as well. I think the the filmmaker Salome Salome Joshi. I've seen one of her prior films, and she's really, has a really great eye. the The opening images of Taming the Garden are like some of the greatest opening images I've seen in a movie in a while. It's like the trees being beginning to be moved, but they're uh, like smoke is coming from around them, and it looks super like ominous. And it it almost reminded me of like a the way Fire Will Come started, where you're kind of dropped into this landscape and you don't know where you are, but there's these like incredible large scale images of, of trees. But yeah, it's really a really special movie I think as well.
0: Yeah. I, i I've, I really agree about that. It, the way it opens is mesmerizing. It's, it's funny because you've been talking about these movies that in a single movie might have three or four angles or approaches or styles. And if I think about Taming the Garden, Obviously, there's a movie that could be made about this, which would be like the process film about how the different political interests or something, you know? So it's just kind of, it's kind of funny to think, you know, watching this was so much more satisfying than a lot of other versions of the film, I think. And you still get that because they have a lot of footage of people just discussing like, oh, they said they'd build us a new road. And then there's like this 90 year old grandmother who's like oh god you're gonna to listen to that just get the cash there's no way they're gonna build a road you know? <laughs> yeah you, you get to see that side of things as well i don't know i hope people catch up with that well i think that probably can bring us to a conclusion i think there's a lot to look forward to what are you going to watch next or do you, do you take a breather from watching <laughs>
1: i'm probably going to rewatch. Witches of the Orient, because I'm going to, I think I'm going to be interviewing the director. So I want to watch it again. No new, uh, okay, I take a break for a little bit, maybe <laughs>
0: for at least a week. <laughs> that sounds, sounds good. Recharge the batteries. I assume you're writing up Rotterdam somewhere as well. or Yeah,
1: this will, uh, I'm doing some things for Mubi this year.
0: And also, I just want to give a shout out to Acropolis, uh, because I just saw uh, that you announced you're showing. Uh, a film dramatique. Uh,
1: yeah, Eric Baudelaire. Yeah, another French another French movie. It's like a genuinely experimental, like in the the real sense of the term, where I guess the filmmaker just was commissioned to make a film about the school system in France, the educational system, about a new school that was opening. So he he went and filmed with his first-year students. They're like middle schoolers. And uh, I don't know if it's a film school per se, but they, they deal with film. And he, he kind of like lets them... Make a film as he's filming them, sort of, and they 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 kind of get into these like philosophical discussions about about filmmaking and about like authorship and about you know reality versus the filmed image. And it's kind of like all these things critics talk about when they go to you know true/false and the, all the the festivals that deal with these topics. But it's interesting to see like middle schoolers kind of literally working it out and talking about it in very like I don't know just basic terms. Where when it's broken down like that, it's almost like newly profound or like insightful (laughs) in some ways. We're showing it here in LA at Acropolis and I'm sure it'll be many, many virtual cinemas across the US. But yeah, it's definitely one worth uh, seeking out. Baudelaire is a good, very good filmmaker.
0: Yeah, no, I was excited to see that announcement. And the crazy thing is I saw that just virtually simultaneously with my posting about uh, a Sundance short film I saw, uh, The Field Trip, uh, Mm -hmm. which is also about kids uh, they go through a program where for a day they basically role play as adults in like a miniature town set So some of them, some people play, work in the bank, some people work in like a pet store and all. So it was this funny kind of synergy seeing you talk about that, that movie where they're more than role playing, I guess they they really are doing filmmaking. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll bring it to a close there. Uh, thanks again. And uh, we'll podcast again soon, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Nick.
0: You've been listening to The Last Thing I Saw with your host, Nicholas Rapold. The opening music is called Montserrat by The Minarets. For a list of movies discussed in this episode, sign up at rapold.substack.com. Thank you for listening.